Welcome to Material Signs, a podcast from Enpro Industries, a leading industrial technology company using material science to push boundaries in semiconductor, life sciences, and other technology-enabled sectors. Over the past few years, we've been on a journey of transformation to an industrial technology company from a manufacturing company. Over that time, we have made significant investments in technology, intensive industries, ranging from optics and photonics to semiconductor to life sciences. As part of this journey, we met with experts in each of these technologies and markets. In this podcast, you'll hear directly from people at the frontiers of different technologies on what's on the horizon and how our lives will be affected by the rapid pace of evolution. We kick off the podcast with a series on optics and photonics. Enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Material Signs, a podcast from Enpro Industries. I'm your host, Tyler Kern. Thanks so much for joining us here for this episode of the show. Today, we'll be discussing technological advancements in optics and photonics with Dr. Darius Sankey. He's a managing director of Innovation Acceleration Capital, and he's on the he's on the board of advisors for uh, the Luminate Accelerator. Dr. Darius, thank you so much for joining us here today. Uh, you're welcome. Absolutely. And we're also joined today once again by Dr. Alexis Vogt, uh, Endowed Chair and Professor of Optics for Monroe Community College. Dr. Vogt, thank you so much for joining us. Pleased to join you. Thank you. Absolutely. And finally, last but not least, we're joined by Peter Egerton. He's the Executive Chief Commercial Officer at Alexa. Peter, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks, Tyler. Happy to be here. Absolutely, absolutely. So everyone, uh, before we go too far, I'd love for your, for each of you to kind of explain a little bit more about your role, the company you work for, and, and just give the audience a little bit of introduction into who you are. So Dr. Sankey, why don't we kick it over to you first, uh, just to give us a brief introduction into uh, into who you are. Sure. Um, actually, I grew up uh, in, in LA, and I graduated from the University of Rochester in 93 with a PhD in optics. Uh, and then during the 90s, I had a series of roles in uh, working at Bell Laboratories back when um, it was still, you know, from, from the prominent lab that, you know, a lot of optics engineers went to in the 90s. Uh, then I moved into management consulting, worked at McKinsey, and then I became a venture capitalist in 99. I invested when seed investing was still something that VCs do, and we invested right out of universities. I did that for 10 years. Then I moved to Seattle in 2010, and I worked for a very large private equity fund where we managed $5 billion of intellectual property assets, and I was responsible for investing and monetizing those assets. And then recently, I started my own firm, leveraging my investment banking background and patents to build a new firm to help corporations invest in new innovations, understanding the value of IP tech transfer and venture and bringing back a way to invest in early stage technologies while understanding the value of intellectual property. Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff. Well, we are thrilled to have you here on the podcast today. Dr. Vogt, uh, why don't you go next and just uh, tell us a little bit more about what you're doing and, uh, and the work that you're doing at Monroe Community College. Sure. I also have a PhD in optics from the Institute of Optics at the University of Rochester, like Darius. And I worked first out of graduate school at Bausch & Lomb, designing contact lenses and interocular lenses, and then moved to Mel's Grio IDEX and was designing optical systems. I left because of a severe shortage I was seeing in the Rochester region of technicians, precision optics technicians, the people who work with their hands to manufacture and to test the optics, whether we're talking about contact lenses or lasers or backup cameras in cars or fiber optics, 
what I learned was that there's a huge shortage of these optics technicians around the entire world. And so I now lead the Precision Optics Technician Program at Monroe Community College in Rochester, New York. And we're the only college in the world awarding associate degrees in precision optics. So my focus has changed. And now I'm working to develop the technical workforce to support the optics and photonics industry. Fantastic. Fantastic stuff. And Peter, wrap us up. Uh, tell us a little bit more about what you do and, uh, and tell us about your company, Alexa. Yeah, sure. So I'm the chief commercial officer at Alexa. Um, I'm part of a team that is responsible for our applications, engineering, sales, marketing, advertising, uh, business development activities. Um, in the early days, everything our CEO wasn't really uh, interested in doing. Um, that's our joke here. Um, Alexa specializes in um, optical thin film deposition. So the most common product you're going to encounter is an optical filter. Um, we design and uh, build all of our own deposition equipment and then use that equipment to make filters and coatings, um, generally with some kind of you know, optical property requirements. Um, but having our own equipment and then using it has allowed us to kind of adapt the technology into areas that other people don't like to go into. Um, and I think we're, we create value that way for our customers. Things that are more difficult or others say no to, we typically say yes to. Excellent stuff. It's a privilege having all three of you here on the podcast with us today and having so much expertise in this world of optics. And so, um, like we said, we're talking about technological advancements today. And so, Darius, let's start off here. What are some of the primary innovations that expanded optics and photonics beyond classical optical lens engineering and image capture? Can you go into a little bit more detail on that? Yeah, I mean, when you think about uh, the first advancement in optics, the invention of the laser was sort of the big invention. You know, this actually happened in the 60s um, with Hughes uh, Research Labs in Malibu. Um, and then Corning developed the optical fiber. So, you know, as we started to be able to take the laser and amplify signals and send them the, through a fiber, we were able to create the, the new market for telecommunications and broadband applications. So if you think about that, that's what made the internet work. Um, from there, you know, after actually at the internet, we then wanted to visualize and look at images with different technologies. So we use lasers to image uh, new materials, understand their properties, uh, such as in medical applications where we can look at uh, proteins and fluoresce proteins and understand what's going on in the body at the at the micro level. We also started to, you know, move into entertainment and recently, you know, augmented reality and virtual reality are now becoming uh, different ways that uh, new technologies for us to be able to visualize and design and, you know, look at our world in a different way. Um, and, and sooner or later, with optics, I think, is going to have an impact in computing um, with ag tech, um, with um, quantum computing and, and making things smaller and looking at materials at the nanoscale. And then the last area, I think, in energy in solar cell management, I think the solar cell and new ways to manage incoming light from the sun and converting it into energy is going to be uh, a big impact uh, in the future for new technologies and optics. Yeah, Peter, Alexis, I would love to hear from from either of you just on, on any follow-ups to what you heard from Darius there and in uh, some of the ways that, that things are moving forward. Uh, Peter, let me kick it to you first. Sure. Yeah, I, I completely agree with uh, what Darius said. I think I think the invention of the laser and then followed by the semiconductor laser and the optical fiber has paved the way for so much information transfer. Kind of the it underpins a lot of the developments in many different fields, not just in optics, but within optics. Those technologies not only uh, became mature, enabling you know bandwidth creation and bandwidth expansion, 
but also then spun out a lot of different things. You know, some of the LIDAR systems that people are hoping will power uh, autonomous vehicles are deeply rooted in their telecom uh, telecom roots. That that telecom had a kind of a technology explosion that has gone all over the place um, and stretched its fingers into so many different areas, whether it's, uh, you know, the face ID on your iPhone or, or you know, the new Apple chip, not to dwell on Apple, but um, EUV technology um, from ASML is uh, a perfect example of really um, counterintuitive high-performance optical properties, optical um, concepts and systems coming together to miniaturize, make smaller, faster chips, um, enabling computing. Um, I think Darius was alluding to um, kind of optical quantum computing as well. There's a lot of different angles that optics plays. And to me, you know, I think it ties back to some of the work Alexis is doing with, um, I think optics has proliferated in so many different fields so quickly that there aren't enough people who know about optics to help, you know, propagate the technologies and ideas. Um, if you looked at the COVID pandemic, um, so full disclosure, I should warn, I'm very uh, filter centric in my in my view of the optics space. But um, <laughs> generally, if there's a light source and a detector, there's a filter. So um, one of the fortunate things about my job is I feel like I get to see a little bit of everything that's going on that's coming down the pike five years from now or 10 years from now. One of the frustrating things is I don't get to become an expert on any of these 100 fields that people come to us for filters for. But, you know, during the pandemic, there was this huge ramp up in qPCR testing, and um, that required a lot of filters. And then the DNA sequencing follows that, looking for variants. All these things are enabled by technologies that kind of came, I think, kind of came into their own during the 90s and early 2000s. And, um, you know, I think VC investment helped kind of fuel a lot of that and the spill off is like a military industrial complex analogy has like fed into all these different areas sorry i'll, I'll stop rambling on now but um it's kind of exciting <laughs> i think optics is an exciting field it's a really exciting field peter I, I would add to that that what's so exciting about is that the way in which we are living where this industry of optics and photonics is revolutionizing our world and we think about all the future advancements that are coming because of this enabling technology, but you're absolutely right. The challenge is the workforce. We don't have the workforce because so many things are optics enabled, yet most people don't even know what the field of optics means. What does that even mean to be in optics or be in photonics? And so that's some of the area I'm working in right now is to try to get the word out, to spread the information for people to recognize that when we think about augmented yeah. reality and virtual reality, these are things that are, this is not just a blip in where we're headed but this is going to take over the way in which we communicate and share information in a variety of different platforms. But we now need the workers to support and to continue and enable people to continue to innovate. Yeah, totally agree. That's a, that's a really great point, uh, Alexis. And I think really, really well put. And so, you know, uh, as we talk about this, Darius, you know, you heard uh, Peter talk a little bit about the spillover, right? And, and all of the different ways that that optics are touching lots of different industries now. Uh, can you share maybe some specific examples of how optics and photonics have really expanded beyond telecommunications and data center management and begin touching a, a lot of different industries and in a lot of different areas across our lives? Yeah, so in my role at my firm and at Luminate, we're focusing on investing in startups and new innovations and moving them into the market in different ways. Um, one of the one of the big areas that we're finding is in agricultural technologies. Um, you know, you wouldn't really believe that optics would have a main role there, but think about it. You know, photosynthesis is an optical effect, right? You know, the sun, you know, you know, creates 
uh, plants that grow and then it converts into oxygen and you know we wouldn't be able to live without that but imagine if we start forming greenhouses to customize our growth of food so that we don't have to have pesticides um, one of our companies in Green is out of switzerland and in europe greenhouse growing of food is a big market and has been a big market since the 80s but they they kind of did it in a way without really understanding how to control the amount of light and create a controlled environment. Um, right now, more than uh, 40% of our food would, would, is, is, is contaminated with pesticides. If we didn't have pesticides, the yield rate on food would be under 40%. We would not be able to feed the planet. So what they can do now in a greenhouse farm, you can have um, you know, a, a building that's completely made out of glass, and then you have a layer that, that reflects the sun and only absorbs the amount of light that's needed to produce certain seeds. And, and different seeds have different environment requirements. So that this company is building a solar uh, a photovoltaic cell that actually reflects you know, the energy of the sun in a way to precisely control the humidity in the environment in, in, um, in a greenhouse. And you know, this could be really exciting because now that can be 100% organic with no pesticides and it will be really safe. Then you can kind of move to thinking about the science of then producing that food and customizing it to human needs. Um, the other you know, big example, one example is in, um, and, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll move back into the solar cell market. We have a company that has a smart coating and I think uh, you, Peter, you'll appreciate this. They're figuring out how to coat the solar cell with a glass that's dynamic, and we can create nanoparticles inside of that glass so that it focuses the light down through a scattering mm -hmm. effect. So you get more light at a smaller point with more energy inside the solar cell, and potentially increasing solar cells and thin films up to a to a to twenty percent more efficient than current cells. That twenty percent efficiency might actually be able to power a car one day, you know, by putting thin film solar cells on top of a vehicle, or it'll enable us to fly drones further with solar power. Mm -hmm. So you can sort of imagine this, this mobile solar power that we can get um, will be intensely more valuable. Um, another, another sort of final area that I think um, is interesting is, is in the area of AR, VR. Um, you know, we don't really think about uh, we think about it more as a video game solution, but when you think about virtual reality, it can be a way to simulate and, and design new systems, new buildings, new cars and test for them, or even train people in surgery. We had a company that came out of the U of R where some surgeons uh, simulated a surgery and you can actually have surgeons train in a simulated environment and not on real people. Apparently surgeons learn in real surgery <laughs> and sometimes people die. So this now allows you to simulate a surgery where there was a failure and then teach the surgeon about how not to, you know, reproduce that failure rate in a simulated environment. So, you know, they, they, they create an organ that's like sort of a fake organ. And then they ha you have the classes and you have the augmented reality and virtual reality simulation to teach them about how to do a, a complex surgery. So like I a think, flight simulator. You know, the These are really great examples of, you know, how optics can change the world and make it safer for all of us. 
Yeah, those were some phenomenal examples. And, and Peter, I'm sure that you can you can build on to what Darius was saying there, just uh, about the different ways that, that we've seen this kind of grow into to many different industries in many different areas. Absolutely, yeah. The um, the surgery simulator idea is, is uh, that's pretty cool. I haven't heard about that, but it's it's a natural for for the AR VR stuff. And you know, I think um, it, it reminded me of two things. One is Sometimes finding the right seat application for some of these new technologies is is a bit of a challenge. They arrive a little too soon. That sounds like a perfect VR AR extension from, you know, from kind of a gaming world to real high value um, benefit to society kind of application. But the other thing it reminded me of um, is just how uh, multidisciplinary optics is. I think one of the challenges um, that you have is when you're assembling a team to work on some of these challenges. Optics combines, you know, that that optical coating that's going to go on the solar cell, Darius, is, is kind of a materials problem with optics embedded throughout it. And sometimes it's an optics problem with materials issues embedded throughout it. I think that's one of the right. I, I hate to keep coming back to the challenges with the workforce, but it's um, I think what Alexis is doing is pretty exciting. But that multidisciplinary um, effect seems to be more pervasive in optics than in other areas. And so maybe that's part of the challenge in kind of continue to extend the, fig- the fingers of optical technologies throughout different parts of uh, different parts of the world, different technologies. I think that's true, Peter. And you think about you can make a perfect optic, quote unquote, or make a really good lens, make a really good coating. You need some way to hold it. So there are mechanics that are involved with everything. Uh, we take, think about all the biomedical applications and understanding of medicine and biology all contribute to this industry of optics as well. You mentioned, Peter, earlier, COVID and the diagnostics. You all had coatings that were involved with that, but optics was a huge player in being able to diagnose COVID and also in drug delivery systems and in development of the vaccine. These are all areas in which optics is playing a role. So we think about the biomedical. Darius was talking about agriculture playing in optics. Yeah. The, the, the field is just so huge. There are so many different areas in which optics is playing a role. And we're starting to see, and I'm developing some work right now on how we can start to train technicians using virtual reality. Because in order to replicate a program like the Monroe Community College Optics Program around the country requires a lot of people to lead it, a lot of people to have the space, to have the expensive equipment. But if you can achieve something by training people, like the companies Darius mm-hmm. has worked with before, and you can do that in virtual reality of much larger impact. And you can then develop this really diversified and skilled workforce that's needed in the industry. Agreed. I think I think that um, a little bit of the lag in in available workforce and expertise, some of it's so specialized and uh, artsy is the wrong word, but there's there's real craft and technique involved in polishing, for example, or you know, grinding something. There's there's a lot of know-how there that kind of passes from generation to generation. The Germans in Jena are famous for this. But yes. um, but I think that also presents an opportunity. I think the optics and photonic space kind of lags in terms of automation and advanced manufacturing techniques. I think there's a lot of people doing a little bit of everything. And it, it hasn't had the volume or scale yet like the semiconductor industry where you start seeing, you know, a fancy fabs and cluster tools and things like that. So we're somewhere in that awkward teenage phase between all these great ideas come at all these markets and then, you know, kind of prime time. There's only a few applications, you know, that you can think of, I think, where advanced optics have really gotten optimized and manufactured in that way. So I think 
building a bigger workforce, more people getting more exposure, those problems will probably solve, you know, solve themselves as kind of as a result of that. But it's still now there's still there's there's one guy you got to find to ask about certain things and another guy about other things. So I think that education piece is really important. And by the way, you mentioned artists and I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I don't recruit optics technicians into our program because most people don't know what that field is or what that even means. So the people I'm recruiting to come join our optics program are artists, musicians, gamers, chefs, automobile mechanics, bicycle mechanics, athletes, because these are the people who have really great hand-eye coordination. Bicycle mechanics so are a really good one, actually. Yeah. That's right. We do we some of that here. The optics part. <laughs> it's great. So I appreciate that. <laughs> but it feels like you and Darius, you know, Darius is trying to build some of these new companies to address some of these issues. You're trying to train the workforce for them. Feels like there's a natural intermingling that um, there's a symbiosis that should happen there. <laughs> well, and uh, Alexis, I wanted to ask, you know, what what some of the, what some of the the challenges or hurdles are uh, that that are impeding the growth of critical optics innovations. But but it sounds like just from from listening to you all talk that part of it is just a lack of of programs to train people to work in these fields and, and a lack of those type of opportunities. Is that the case from from your perspective as an educator? Yes, without a doubt. Uh, the severe workforce shortage that we have right now across the world is impeding our innovation activities. And the reason for that is typically the people who are trained with the bachelors, the masters, the PhD, they're the ones who would be sitting at the computers, doing the innovating, coming up with the next greatest ideas. The work of the technician is the work that has to happen that day to get the product out the door. And so the company might be, your customer might be paying double to get the product out the door. But if you don't have someone there who has the technical skill set to do the work, then the product doesn't ship out the door. So these are the people, the technicians are working with their hands to manufacture, to test, to verify everything's made properly. So that work that a technician does, that has to happen. But if you don't have a technicians, enough technicians in-house to complete that work, then that work is being done by people with a bachelor's, a master's, with a PhD, which means they therefore aren't innovating. So there is this cyclical connection between a shortage of workforce that impedes the innovation and the growth. So that's the work I'm trying to do right now is to help fill that gap and come up with creative solutions so we can train more people because we need to continue to innovate. There are all of these great new ideas out there. And the, the world is so much being driven by optics and photonics that the innovation opportunity is endless. So that's where Darius comes into key in play with all of his expertise and his background in developing his new firm so that we can take more of these ideas and turn them into something that's going to be these great ideas moving forward. Yeah, I, I want to I'm going to comment on what Lexa said. And we've been talking about this, actually. Um, it, you know, it's, it's interesting. We actually studied under the same advisor at the University of, of Rochester. I think I think you probably graduate, what, 10 years after me or something like that. But, but what's really interesting, what I'm discovering is that venture has absorbed a certain number of scientists um, to focus on startups. You know, when I finished my PhD, almost every PhD went to work at one of the corporate labs. I mean, if you think about it, Kodak Research Labs um, and Kodak itself, you know, there were, I think there were 40 or 50,000 employees in the 80s. And, you know, they invented the digital camera. Um, they, they, they play a big role in inventing 3D printing where a laser is a really important element. And, you know, it's funny, we didn't really talk about Kodak and Xerox, which played a very important role in printing and 
in, in optics being an important element in making a digital copy or a copy of a piece of paper, you know, the Xerox copy is an optics process. You know, the digital camera is something Kodak invented in the 70s, and yet they're not here today. So what we're finding is that this critical mass of manufacturing, as you guys talked about, doesn't exist anymore. Bell Labs and AT&T built a critical mass of making equipment for the network to actually operate. And now you don't have a network operating company in the United States anymore. That's, you know, that's Alcatel in, in Europe. And you have um, you know, now China playing, you know, being the leader in making solar cells and in Germany making the materials in the glass. And in the US, we're still innovating around these new materials and new ways to, to look at and build technologies, but we don't have a systems company that's focused on optics in the United States. So what my firm is really looking at is we're building a database of all of the projects that are being funded by the government small business initiative research program and doing an audit. So we can actually see how many engineers are working for defense, how many engineers are working at Google or Apple in their private programs or Facebook in their private you know, uh, reality labs program and how many are actually in the startup world struggling to raise capital? And what we're finding is that if you know you have a PhD who's trained, works for 10 years on a startup, and 95% of them fail, that's an that's a that's a that impedes innovation. And we don't actually know how many people are doing that. The other piece is we don't have the manufacturing capabilities, systems capabilities that allow people to learn and grow and understand these new technologies to make the systems that these things go in. So we're working on bringing, you know, in the sort of Build Back America program, you know, winning some of these grants to rebuild manufacturing, working with Ames Photonics and helping them take that prototyping facility and do mass manufacturing. So we're looking at critical elements for new technologies and the applications I talked about, medical being a big mm -hmm. one as well to help bring manufacturing back here, teach people how to build stuff again and, and bring these new capabilities into the systems. And I think if we do that and combine that with training, we can change the equation and we can make, we can innovate way faster. So we have to sort of do what software did where you know everything kind of got built around an open source yeah. and you have you know, only two operating systems. We need to do that manufacturing, do what semiconductors did where you could almost outsource it, but outsource it or insource it in the United States, where we we build optical elements and semiconductors together and advance forward. You know that that makes a lot of sense, um, and it kind of makes me think of this this gap in kind of manufacturing at home in America, especially when it comes to optics, is is kind of an interesting point, and I think it's exacerbated by the. I think we have a mentality here versus other countries of going for the home run. So if you look at like lidar and autonomous vehicles. Um, a lot of great ideas, a lot of great companies, a lot of great people, probably not going to be 30 winners, but that's sucking all this talent into solving the same problem and making a giant bet on it. But sometimes there's small incremental wins, you know, maybe moving some of these optics resources out into point of care diagnostics and things like that, where incremental innovations can spawn volume demand instruments, um, getting the technology out there, but it relies on what you're talking about, which is being able to actually make some of that stuff um, efficiently and and in many cases, maybe uh, at home in the U.S. Yeah, I want to make another point about the the medical case. You know, I think in the drug discovery world, we spend a lot of money trying to find a blockbuster drug. But what if we just had 
more testing equipment out there. You know, you have a wearable which has optical elements in it to yeah. measure, um, you know, your temperature, your blood oxygen level. I mean, you know, the the Apple Watch and the and the Fitbit have lots of optical elements in it. Um, and then, you know, you can extend that to doing fast antibody testing or looking at blood at a CVS. I mean, I think I can now go to CVS and get a test done. That's an optical process. Okay. You know, if we extended the abilities to diagnose people's health faster and keep people healthy, then we don't have to spend as much money on these advanced drug discoveries. So that's a really you know, good point. point about the pandemic. You know, I think the pandemic really brought back this concept of telemedicine and being able to bring that back to the forefront. But to support that, we got to get these companies through FDA trials and they have to be able to efficiently make those devices and they have to be able to make them here in the United States. That's right. That's really interesting. You know, and, and as you guys talked, you, you mentioned specifically a, a few times just how things operate in the United States and the, the level of investment, but also um, how people um, work in the United States. And that that idea of, uh, Peter, I think you were talking about this, having, you know, 30 people all working on the, the same kind of shoot the moon idea. Um, from your perspective, Peter, how do investments in new innovations compare between Asia, Europe and the United States? So wh where is the United States in terms of the level of investments we're making in, in optics innovations? It, it, that's a good question, and, and um, certainly one I'd be interested in hearing Darius's input on, because I'll, I'll have a pretty narrow slice on on this compared to his worldview. But um, I, so mine's more of an anecdotal kind of a, opinion. But I, I think the United States does make bigger bets more aggressively, um, maybe ten times as many big bets more aggressively than some of the other places. I feel like our experiences in um, you know, in Europe in particular, you know, Germany is a huge market for us and, and there's a tremendous amount of talent and, and innovation there. It feels like it's more government supported and controlled. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, I think the government's good at fostering innovation there. And I think that commercializing that innovation is something that that market maybe isn't as adept at as the US, but then the US goes into hyperdrive and hyper commercializes a good idea. And so I think somewhere in between is the right answer. Um, Asia is a little bit more tricky to, to comment on. I think there is innovation there, but it's a little more opaque to me. And, and how it's commercialized is a little more opaque to me. I see a lot of manufacturing um, coming from there. I see a lot of basic research um, in advanced optics concepts there, on the more on the science side of things, you know, atmospheric investigations, those types of things. Um, but I'm not as clear on the commercialization path within optics outside of the telecom space, which we all saw. You know, the Chinese market did a tremendous job with that all the way. Um, kind of soup to nuts from the materials components all the way up through the boxes, NEMs, and networks of places like Huawei. But outside of that space in, in optics, uh, Asia is a little more of a black box to me. So I'm not sure if I answered your question. Yeah, you know, um, when I think about this question and I, and I put it out there is because the fundamental optics systems are no longer made in the United States, um, even in light, um, which is the leading semiconductor laser manufacturer outsources their manufacturing to China. So you got lasers being outsourced to China. You have solar cells being outsourced to China. Um, semiconductors, which is a key component mm -hmm. in optics, being outsourced to China. Um, and now even Samsung doesn't make their OLED displays in Korea anymore. That's being outsourced to China. So, you know, what's happening kind of is as we get to critical mass and devices become commodities during the 90s and the 80s, 
Um, we started to move innovation in the 2000s all to China to the point where the labor cost was low enough you couldn't compete. But that's so that's sort of a, a force that we have to deal with. In Germany, because they have a policy to keep manufacturing in Germany, they built more advanced systems, more high quality systems. They invested a lot more in 3D printing and, and automating the, mm-hmm. the industrial process. So they, they create more efficiencies in how they develop. So in, in, in China, it's a labor force problem where they really need to hire people and put them to work. In Germany, it's all about efficiency, precision, the tools to make things. And so they've spent a lot more money in 3D printing, which is a key in additive manufacturing, which is a key area. So the United States is sitting in the middle where we sort of invested in novel materials like coatings like you guys do. So we have to ship our sort of materials out to those countries. They implement them in their manufacturing process and ship it back to us. Um, But if we don't make these fundamental devices, which we, we aren't investing in, it's kind of hard to continue to make big bets. One of the big bets we made was in LiDAR. I think Luminar went public through a special acquisition uh, um, investment. They raised $550. So we had the leading LiDAR company. But how can you create, how can a car drive safely without a camera? You know, so one of our companies at Luminate is called Al Autonomous um, Imaging, and they have a, a high speed uh, a thermal infrared camera so that at night you can see people, you know, the heat, the heat profile. So with LIDAR combined with that camera, you don't have people dying, you know, in these pilot programs that we, that we found when Uber and, and uh, Tesla were doing these pilot programs mm-hmm. at night. But wouldn't it be great if OWL and LIDAR came together and made a whole systems for the car? There's another company called Preact, but they make sensors for predicting an accident. So the airbags go off before the collision. So we we are very good at point solutions in the United States, yeah. very good at creating value out of those point solutions, but we don't make the car. So, you know, it's interesting that, you know, what if we made all those systems in the car in one place, right? It would be interesting how we could advance those further. So it's an open question. Um, we, we, we tend to invest in unique sensors or components, but we don't build systems. And in Europe and Asia, they're investing more in systems. I hadn't thought about it like that before, but I, I completely agree. That's really interesting. And, and, and Darius, this question might be totally off base. And if so, let me know. But I'm, I'm curious just with all of the maybe supply chain challenges we're seeing around the world, if do you see more manufacturing and more things maybe coming back to the United States away from China? Or is, is that not something that, that we've really seen in this space? Well, no, this is a good question. Um, TSMC, which is one of the largest um, outsourced semiconductor fabs in the world, is building a plant in Arizona. Um, I also know that Samsung has proposed to build a plant in the United States. I don't think they've picked a location yet. Um, you know, there's rumors that Intel, which is the main uh, manufacturer, I mean, is going to expand their capacity and, and actually start to outsource uh, and, 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 and create chips for other companies. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing a shift there. Um, I think in solar power, uh, the Air Force is demanding that someone 
builds uh, a photovoltaic company that can create uh, and supply their new satellite, low earth orbiting satellite network. And low earth orbiting satellites is sort of a, a, a new area for movement of information. You know, very large companies uh, other than the Air Force, I'm sure Google and Apple and all these companies are working on their satellite networks. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know if you guys remember Teledesic back in the 90s, right? That's coming back and, and we now have, know how to make those satellites um, more efficient. And so um, the, the United States Defense Department is pushing an agenda to bring critical technologies back to the United States. You know, we haven't really, you know, it's interesting with displays, you know, we have these smart glass companies that want to turn glass into displays. And so it's going to be interesting to see how that unfolds with micro LED uh, technology and whether we're going to sort of bring that, that capability back. You know, I have a fold, Samsung Z Fold phone where the, the you know, you can fold the, the display and everything. Mm -hmm. And we're very advanced in these sort of organic materials in the United States. So I think in new materials, we're going to start to see the emergence of manufacturing coming back to the United States. And with these semiconductor plants being built here, that's going to translate and give the optical manufacturing capabilities that we need um, here in the United States is going to become more available. And I suppose that only exaggerates kind of what we were talking about with Alexis earlier, the need for training, the need for um, the those people who can fill those positions to allow innovation to continue to happen. Um, you know, I, I think that probably only exaggerates some of the things we've already talked about here in the conversation today. So um, all of this is really fascinating and really interesting. And, and I'm curious from your perspective, Darius, you know, who's leading the maybe the charge when it comes to research and development um, of new innovations and applications that can really take advantage of what you're seeing as far as emerging optics and photonics capabilities? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. Um, you know, it, it, believe it or not, Apple, Google, um, you know, are playing a big role um, in this space. Even Microsoft. I mean, Microsoft has made a big investment in HoloLens and augmented reality. I'm not sure why my printer's going off. <laughs> um, so um, they've made some big investments. Um in this area. They're also making big investments in the quantum computing space and how are we gonna think about, um, you know, uh, moving from the world we're in with semiconductors, kind of, I guess you can, you can say that that's a nano kind of technology. We're now moving into the quantum space. Um, you know, Cisco is still out there. I mean, Cisco is a big company um, in networking and they do probably, they make some of the biggest investments and research in the space. Um, and then uh, Facebook, you know, is investing in developing a fab to advance their capabilities with virtual reality. And you don't really think about Facebook as making a big investment, but they manage data centers and the data center and optics in the data center and, and optoelectronics and, and not making it such a bottleneck is a big area in optics with optical interconnects. And then on the other end is pharmaceutical companies. All the pharmaceutical companies are investing in better sequencing capabilities, um, better, uh, more abilities to look at proteins, protein folding, and how drugs work. And so you're, you're seeing a lot of medical, medical applications and pharmaceutical applications. Those are big investments in optics as well. Peter, Alexis, uh, any follow-up on, uh, on Darius's comments? 
I think there was a there was a lot there was a lot of content there that um that was that was a great overview. I really appreciate that. Um I think your comment about some of the fang the fang guys having um optical interconnect and, and data center management issues, you know, whether it's Google or AWS or there's a tremendous amount of data just in the business of having data, right? Data has to move if you're gonna have data. I didn't actually mention Amazon. Um, Amazon, if you think about it, um, they're trying to make everything autonomous. So they have a, you know, they actually have planes. You know, they're they're going to have drones. They're they're going to have an autonomous trucking system. And you know, with the lidar and those applications, um, um, and industrial automation applications in their supply chain managing their warehouse, they invest in a lot of optics research as yeah, well. Absolutely. You don't really think of these companies. Uh, during that. So that was, you just reminded me um, that Amazon's another big investor in this space. They are. And, and all, a lot of, a lot of the thing companies, I think have publicly announced um, free space optical um, efforts as well, which kind of piggybacks on some of the earlier work in the old telecom bubble. But, um, you know, I think those types of things are going to be important as well for bringing, bringing as, as the world becomes more autonomous and more data driven and interconnected, people farther afield who don't have access to that are at a greater and greater disadvantage. And I think free space optical technologies, whether it's satellite based or point to point on the ground, have a, um, have a huge potential to um, solve that, that piece of the problem as well. They're all, they're all kind of interconnected. So as we start to, to wrap up our conversation here today, it, this has been really fun, really informative, and, uh, and I hope everyone has enjoyed it as much as I have. I want to yeah. give everyone the opportunity just to, uh, to to maybe share something they want to leave the audience with here today. It can be a, a summary statement. It could be something that we haven't talked about yet that, that you want to make sure people understand or learn about optics uh, before we sign off. Uh, but but I want to give everyone the opportunity to do that. Uh, Darius, let's start off with you. Um, you you've, you've been driving the train a lot today, and I've, I've loved getting a chance to, to learn more about you and, uh, and hear your insights on these topics. Anything you want to leave our audience with here today uh, in terms of um, you know things we haven't discussed? or even just a summary? Yeah, um, the, what I want to say is that my firm is really actively looking at a way that we can bring research um, in the United States, um, education, and improving our ability to manage a workforce um, to the market without letting venture being a, uh, an impedance to that. I think Peter said, you know, we're always trying to chase to get the billion dollar company, but what if we took a hundred billion dollars a year and invested in hitting, you know, getting to second base or getting to third base, you know, every idea has a home and anyone can learn from it. So when we invest in our projects, we look for an existing company and we, and we hope that that existing corporate sponsor will have the ability to take that innovation and absorb it and, and, and apply it in their supply chain or in their distribution or just to make them more competitive. I think if we take the research community, virtualize it, you know, and not to use virtual reality as a sort of term, but, but literally expand the capabilities in access to innovation without having to go through the startup process, but think about a pro on a project basis and then link into a new manufacturing system and then educate people on how to use it and pass it through to a company, it's gonna be a more efficient way to innovate. So we're trying to figure out who these teams of people are, so on demand they can respond to uh, invention proposals and then pass those to companies so companies can take, take longer looks at research and participate in the R&D process as they're developing their product roadmaps. 
and actually have them give them the ability to be able to measure and, and, and do these over longer timescales. So that, you know, it could take 10 years for some of these things to happen. We have a very short view in the United States. We think you can get rich fast. We think these stock markets are going to, but, but if we have, if we teach companies to have a longer view and, and, and create cooperative investments between government, education, and innovation, I think we can have a much more successful track record of moving technology, not just in optics, but in any space to the market. Fantastic stuff. Fantastic. Uh, Peter, uh, follow up, uh, Darius, with any final comments you sure. have? Sure. I, I think um, what I would say, based on my kind of limited view of, of the photonic space is, um, I think photonics, optics and photonics has finally come of age. And um, I know that's cliche, but I've probably heard that every decade since I was three years old. Um, I got into optics mostly, I think, because my dad was in optics um, for 35 years and I didn't intend to. He actually told me not to. <laughs> and um, I'm really glad I found it. I, I love the space. But I think optics in many ways was ahead of its time um, for many decades. And now the rest of the needs of technology and processing and the ability to use the value that optics brings has now caught up to what optics can do. So now we're in this awkward phase I was talking about before where we're trying to figure out how do we, how do we really now put the effort behind it and get optics manufacturing and all these other things, idea development, new products. How do we get these out into the market efficiently in a way that can support the growth that we all see the potential of? And um, all that would just lead me to say, to, you know, maybe introduce it to your kids. Um, a lot of kids maybe don't always know what mom and dad do at work, but I, I think it's a great field. And the people in this field versus other fields I have exposure to tend to be you know, enthusiastic and, and um, fun to work with and intelligent. And it's a great place. I would say, tell your kids to work in optics. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Uh, Alexis, wrap us up here today. That is a great segue, Peter. Thank you. Uh, you can't talk about innovation within our world without also talking about optics and photonics. Optics is enabling all of these innovations that are coming about. But really what I think it's important for us to also recognize as we think about these innovations is the workforce. And we do need everyone to talk to their children and their friends and their neighbors about this industry. Um, I'm working with an, an entity called Americom, the American Center for Optics Manufacturing. And a big portion of the work we're doing is to develop optics technicians. We need more precision optics technicians around the country in order for us to continue to innovate. So I'm grateful for the opportunity to share this information and talk about this really exciting innovations that are moving forward in optics and photonics and hope that we also will focus on developing the workforce as well. Fantastic stuff. Peter Egerton, Dr. Alexis Vogt, and Dr. Darius Sankey. Everyone, thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast today, sharing your insights, your expertise, your knowledge, and a great conversation. So thank all three of you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks, guys. That thank was you. I had a lot of fun. Bye, everybody. That was great. And everyone, thank you for tuning into this episode of Material Science, a podcast from InPro Industries. Stay tuned for upcoming episodes where we'll have more conversations along these lines, educating the public and educating everyone out there about optics and photonics. So stay tuned for that. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify for more. And stay tuned. We'll be back soon with new episodes of the show. But for this one, for my fantastic guests today, I've been your host, Tyler Kern. Thanks for joining us.